Welcome to Just Go Grind, a show that focuses on helping you launch and grow a business and navigate the ups and downs of entrepreneurship. I'm your host, Justin Gordon, and in this episode, we have Ish Jindal, who is the founder of TARS, which is a company that allows you to create conversational landing pages to improve your PPC conversion rate by 50 to 200%. He has grown this business over the last few years to more than a million dollars in annual recurring revenue, and we go through how he built it in this episode from the start to where he's at now. As always, the show notes are justgrind.com slash podcast. You can support the show by leaving a rating and review and sign up for the weekly grind, my weekly newsletter with tips, tools, and strategies for growing a business at justgrind.com slash newsletter. You can learn more about TARS at hellotars.com. Without further ado, here is Ish Jindal, the founder of TARS. Ish, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me, Justin. Yeah, great to, great to have you on here and obviously talking about your company, TARS. I want to know, first off, how did this get started, Ish? Great. So uh, just a little bit of background in there, right? So I think it's been about four years for us since we started. So my co-founder, Vineet, and I basically, two of us, started the, I, I don't think we started a company. We started with a product and we just uh, <laughs> wanted to, uh, like we could see the problem of, um, so at the core of it is is basically the problem. And the problem we were trying to solve is that of an interface specifically on mobile devices. And we said, yeah. okay, you know, how do, how do businesses or brands uh, speak with their consumers at this point of time, right? So either they, you would do it over a website or you do that over a, uh, phone call that's or maybe a mobile app right so this is how it usually happens and if you look at web uh, interfaces as such you generally have two pieces or two things basically happening on a on a website you either share some information with your end users or you collect information from your end users that's basically a lot of websites out there right. in the world for a lot of businesses and we said uh can we make this experience better? Because most of the information that is being collected from the end user is happening over forms. And you don't like to fill out forms, I'm guessing. <laughs> I don't like to fill out forms. Nobody likes to fill out forms. And still we've been, uh, you know, all of us have been using those boring forms. And it was still okay when we were doing it on a, on a bigger screen, on a laptop or a desktop device. But specifically now, um, or maybe even four years back, right? a lot of usage was happening over mobile devices. And he said, can we transform the same thing or the same uh, use case over an interface that everyone understands, everyone is familiar with? And that interface was essentially a chat interface. It's a beautiful interface if you think about it, right? Like everyone knows how to use it. There's not a lot of clutter. Like it's it's just about two message bubbles. it's there's a text message bubble from my side and if i'm chatting with you and there would be a response from your side so it's as close as we can get to a real life interaction like you are asking me a question right now i'm responding to it that's just a back and forth right uh now you look at a website where you just dump all of this information on a website and it becomes super difficult for the end user to just make sense of it so i think that was the basic problem we started off with and we were just trying to solve the problem of forms uh we were solving it through a chat interface which was totally automated so we used to call them conversational forms 
back in the day and mm-hmm. and then the whole hype around chatbots came into picture <laughs> and people started calling us chatbot and we were like okay yep. yeah we are chatbot interface or we are a chatbot platform but i think at the core of it what was uh, automation is definitely you know the, the the core of it but more than that it's about the chat interface which made um both of us so excited about the product in itself right and i think uh, obviously the product has evolved a lot over the last 3 4 years but at the core of it we're still doing the same thing we're still solving the same problem for marketers out there so our value proposition or the target segment is essentially marketers who are trying to solve the conversion rate um of their traffic coming in right it could be you have a website which has got uh, a lot of monthly visitors a lot of people coming on your website and they're not converting just because they see forms and tons of data out there or you could um, be running paid campaigns and taking people to traditional landing pages traditional forms traditional websites and we say you know can uh, why don't you um have a conversational interface or have a conversation with your uh, end users and actually make it much more human leading to better conversion rates so yeah i mean that's that's basically <laughs> what we do yeah that's awesome and it's something that's so useful for for businesses and uh, i actually when we kind of got connected here was curious was looking around and everything too I was like oh i might have to use this for for my stuff as well and with that too when you have this as a, on a landing page or, or someone's coming to this site like what is kind of that conversation taking place between that to get the engagement with people i'm curious on how it works and like the back end when people are actually using it so uh how you would use it how would you use you use the product is basically right. in one of these two ways so either someone would say i i'll give you an example right you search for um uh, say insurance on um google and you would come across these different ads of insurance companies right you click on uh, one of these ads and it would land you directly into the chatbot itself so there would be nothing else on on the next screen it will be the chat interface itself nothing uh, nothing else so it'll be hey hey there you know uh, welcome to this and this insurance company we help you with this and this we are one of the most trusted insurance providers in los angeles uh, california uh, what can i help you with right and you would be like okay apply for an insurance um, renew my insurance and multiple things that you would want right so it's a it's think of it as sales funnels but done over a chat interface so you're still doing the uh that same old sales funnel you're trying to have a conversation with your users but trying to run them through a funnel right and all of this is yeah. happening over a chat interface so i would say these are like chat funnels if you if you may call them so but this is one of the ways and the second way is um essentially you would still have your landing pages or you still have your websites but you would use this as this um widget small little thing on the bottom right or the bottom left of your website people come on your website click on it and basically then start having a conversation gotcha that makes total sense and that's they uh, have definitely gives me a better idea of of use cases and everything and people can imagine how they could use this for their own business as well and then going back to the beginning when you when you started this so you started tars you're solving this this problem you're like okay we need to fix this we have these mobile screens and it's, it's something needs to be done once you have this kind of solution like how are you testing this early on i'm curious about that part of it sure so um i think we didn't really make the entire product right so i so people hadn't seen something like this before uh people and specifically using this for a 
use case like this uh, people didn't expect right so even if i was reaching out to people they were like uh, this looks cool but does it really work and all of those things right yeah <laughs> uh, as you would expect uh, so what we really did uh, we didn't build a lot of stuff to start off with all my co-founder did was gave me this front end javascript code which was essentially nothing was happening on the back end it was just something running on a browser <laughs> just just the front end ui uh essentially right and um i would go out and go out in the sense i would basically do outbound reach out to a lot of companies out there our target segment when i started off was i used to look at uh these startups who had raised a good amount of money recently right yep. and uh, why would i do that because if you've if you're a startup and you've raised uh, a good amount of money recently your marketing team is definitely looking at they they are under the pressure of growing and they would want to experiment with something new right yep and that that's what we used to do i would have this list of um, outbound prospects i have to reach out to i would send them an email try to get a response show them the demo and that's how the huge the initial conversations basically happen right yeah and i think it was from those conversations it was from those demos we got the initial um 10 customers uh they started using us they got the results and i think even for us we didn't know that this would actually give good results or not right because you honestly don't know if this product uh is going to actually deliver the results which we are going to promise right because if yeah. you're making a crm tool you know you know there are tons of crm tools out there and everyone knows how to use them it's it's a very defined um, user experience in a crm right you might make a crm for a different industry but a crm remains a crm at the end of the day right what we were building back then uh, or with what what we had come up with was something fairly new and we had to obviously test if this thing what we've built does it really work or does it not even work <laughs> yeah and we will make all the effort in getting these customers they'll start using us and the fact is uh people were like our customers actually were spending money to experiment with our product right so if yeah. you have to use our product if you're using it on organic traffic that's totally fine but if you're running paid campaigns you're actually spending dollars to get people to this particular page right and what if it doesn't work yeah so it was not about even the pricing of our product because say our pricing is uh right now it's approximately um uh, you know 400 to 500 per month but back in the day it was like 100 a month right not a very big amount but then you would uh actually spend 10000 a month on your ads and what if it doesn't work right yeah. so i think I think that was a good place to be in because we were striving that the business value and the like business value was essentially conversion numbers. If the conversion numbers are not coming in, that means our product is not really working for our customers. Yeah, and I want to so, go back real quick. You mentioned getting these first customers and especially for aspiring entrepreneurs and people kind of just starting out, you got those first 10 customers. So basically you're you're saying you did like cold outreach to people who had just raised cuz they have money, they were willing to test things out and then you were selling them right away on here's $100 a month to use this product. Is that how it went? I mean, yeah, we we had multiple products. So that this is my first SaaS company. So I uh we didn't do a we didn't spend a lot of time uh figuring out the pricing which is like a biggest mistake you can ever make but then we had the usual 49 dollars per month 99 dollars per month right yeah um but yeah when I mean, that was the that was that is i think something we did uh at least for the first six months because it was just two of us right my co-founder and me yeah i would do all the 
outbound reach out i mean it's it's very boring way of doing it but yeah that's that's what we were doing oh that's uh, awesome right and then because inbound is not going to work if you on your day one right yeah. if you don't have an initial community to start off with um, all you have to do is just try to figure out your prospective customers and just reach out to them through linkedin through emails whatever it is i'm just curious what at that time like how many people do you think you were reaching out to each day ish oh so initially it was uh, very few people so i would say maybe 10 people a day at max because i was actually writing those emails yeah. in a personalized like i would actually sit do all the research and write a very short crisp email uh and i obviously got a bad of uh, you know a lot of uh, <laughs> uh, a lot of those backfired as well like i would send emails to people and say um the subject line used to be your website sucks and people used to be like oh. <laughs> so but i got a lot of feedback from there but initially we were sending to say about 10 companies a day at max but then eventually within 4 to 5 months we really scaled it up we got a couple of interns uh in the team and one of the interns um role was to get me 50 companies a day into two contacts per company so this person was essentially giving me 100 contacts on a daily basis we used to load it up into one of these um outbound reach out emails right like there are tools for this yep. so we would load it up in one of those tools the it became like a process so i think after a point of time it became a very automated process and i would only come into picture when someone actually responds i would go in and try to book a demo and stuff like that right but before that it was a pretty neat process so if there are 20 working days in a month we were generating almost 1500 to 2000 contacts on a monthly basis yeah gotcha that makes sense and that's always interesting to see like the especially early days how, how people are getting customers and everything and with that too you mentioned like bringing on uh, people to help with the outreach which makes total sense how were you funding this business in the beginning um so i think uh, we have always been bootstrapped even at this point of time we have never raised a penny um so i think we were surviving so it since it was just two of us in the very beginning it wasn't a lot of um, we just needed survival money right yeah. and i think we were just using our own savings in the initial few months uh maybe say four five months but then i think we started making money from the customers we were onboarding right and our costs like our living costs were not so high uh, we've been always been very frugal so and and we were based out of bangalore so the costs weren't too high so i think that's how we were able to run the business initially and then i think since then all of it has been um funded by our customers uh, so thankful for that um yeah. and you know we we've, we've been growing we've been we've been able to build the team we've been profitable all of that right so i think and and you can do that with a saas business uh, doing the same thing with a b2c consumer focused business is like super difficult yeah. because b- before this i was running a travel consumer startup and it was like insanely tough <laughs> to do anything because um i mean yeah i mean you definitely need money if you want to grow a consumer startup but with a saas business uh you you can really do that and that's why i think a lot of people are getting into saas right now oh of course absolutely and and one thing with that that we can't just gloss over you mentioned briefly for a second there was pricing and that was like a huge mistake we got to go back to that ish so pricing what you mentioned this was a huge challenge and kind of mistake in terms of saas like what would you have done differently or what would you suggest around pricing then sure so i think um most of the companies or most of the products or most of the founding teams how they look at pricing is they look at competitor products 
or they look at the other products which my target customer is using sure and essentially price the product which is very close to that so if my competitor is charging say uh, and it also depends on the kind of um, product you're building like for instance ours was a new category that was being built so we could really decide the pricing because there was not a lot of competitors and even if there were competitors uh, they were very early very nascent stage right but even then a lot of pricing for a lot of products out there happens looking at your competitors if someone is charging say a hundred dollars per month i i would say charge eighty dollars a month or i would charge 150 dollars a month but i would just keep the number around that right but and uh, and this really happens because you end up spending so much time building the product but you don't spend same amount of time actually doing research around your pricing so you don't ask your customers what uh how much would they be able to pay for a product like yours so and and we don't do that research right uh so i think what worked for us or the way we started thinking about pricing is based on value how much of a value are we delivering for our end customers, right? I'll give you an example of it because it might sound, all of this might sound very abstract, very theoretical, right? Yeah. So so I I was speaking with this customer, right? And they he mentioned to me, like he, was, he wasn't getting a lot of leads through the website and he was using our product and he wasn't really generating a lot of leads, maybe say 20 leads a month, right? And this was a... This was um, a customer in the healthcare space, in this spine surgery space, right? And they were generating about 20 leads a month. And I was like, uh, you know, Zach, this doesn't seem like a lot, you know, a very huge number. Why Why are you even paying us, right? Yeah. And he was like, uh, uh, I generate 20 leads a, a, a month. And this, this the guy I was speaking with was an, a digital agency doing that for their end customer, right? And he was like, um, you know, we generate about 20 leads a month. But then each of these 20 leads can eventually pay the customer $15,000 a lead, like each lead, right? So you're essentially building a pipeline of $300,000 a month. And even if if 10% of that closes, it will be $30,000. So if you are able to generate $30,000 of revenue a month, you can definitely charge them $1,000 a month right but yep if you look at the pricing so you should i i feel you should never look at pricing based on what the cost of making that software is because like you can't define it that way the 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 pricing is has to be based on value and you should go with the concept of value based pricing which is essentially how much of a value like right now for instance we started with a 50 dollars a month product and on an average right now we are able to um our product generally, you know, the ARPU, which is the average revenue per user is approximately in the range of $500 a month or $5,000 a year. So you would see that there has been a 10x increase in the pricing, but we are so confident and I still feel our pricing is low. Um, but we've been able to do that just because we know that the customers we onboard, we are able to provide at least 10x value to those customers. Like you would see a lot of cheap products yep. in our space and our customers ask the same thing. And I feel like even, I read this on Twitter very recently and um, the the this, this, this person basically said, uh, never let your sales guy tell you that your pricing is too high, right? So, and <laughs> I think it, it all goes back to the fact that if, you're, if your customers are saying, you know, your pricing is too high, maybe you're talking to the wrong customers, um, you shouldn't be talking to them. But just, I think, just 
uh, taking a step back when you've built the product and just thinking, okay, uh, what should I price this product at? I think, uh, I mean, you could, you, I mean, you can figure this out in multiple ways, do multiple conversations, don't have a pricing page, just pitch at different pricing to every different customer. Like we had, um, I think four or five different pricing pages initially. We didn't have a pricing page on the website initially. And then I would play around with the pricing and um, just see at what point would people say that your pricing is just insanely high. <laughs> like if, if people are not saying that, you just keep, you know, bumping up the pricing because what we saw in the last couple of years as um, the change in pricing has been one of the biggest levers for us in terms of growth. So we're still onboarding the same number of customers, but it's just that the same customers are paying more money and that's why it becomes one of the biggest levers, right? And yeah. I think once you change the pricing, everything else changes. You onboard a very different set of customers. Your marketing changes, who you get in the team changes, your processes change. Everything changes just because of the pricing. Yeah, yeah. and take me through that transition then from early on to the pricing you have now. How did you you know, over time, raise your pricing. Cause the people are going to be curious about that as well as, especially as they're starting off, they have a certain pricing or they want to go a little bit higher. Like how did you progress from the early pricing to then kind of the pricing you have now? Right. So I think, uh, you know, I think the initial pricing we used to have was, um, so we always had these tiered plans, right. You know, you know, the base plan, a higher plan. So I think it was in the range of 50 to $100 per month when we started off. And so we've, we've, mostly grandfathered the old customers so if you've been a customer and paying a certain amount of money we would uh grandfather you basically you would end up paying similar or at least only a bit higher you wouldn't like just be pushed to the new pricing right away or we would explain you why the new pricing makes sense and right. what we've realized is we have been able to even take current customers all the old customers from a lower pricing to a higher pricing just because we were able to justify that value and if people don't see that value, they will anyways churn, right? But the first transition we had was we moved to, we just doubled our pricing um, at one point of time <laughs> and we moved from a $50 to $100 to a, I think the, the plan was about $100 and then at $250 per month and obviously a custom plan after that. Actually, so we experiment with pricing a lot, I would say that. So the next pricing we had was, uh, it started at $500 a month and the next pricing was, um, $1,200 or $1,300 a month. Uh, we faced a lot of challenges, uh, you know, selling at that price point. We learned from that and we said, okay, now it's getting very difficult to, for yeah. us to get people in the door. So let's have a lower plan. So we had a $150 per month and then a $500 a month. And then we said, okay, now $150 or $100 is almost the same amount of money, but that's just the human psyche that uh, 99 is like two digits, 149 is like three digits, <laughs> reduce that, make it a 99 and make it a 499. Even now we are learning, right? So right now, uh, just from the customer conversations, we see that 99 to a 499 is a big leap. So can we have something in the middle? Or people come and say, 99 seems like a very cheap <laughs> pricing. <laughs> so maybe have a 199 and yep. then have a 499. It wouldn't be a very big leap. But a 5x leap from one plan to the other seems a lot, right? So I think I think there's no there's no one single way to define this uh, it just depends a lot on your customer conversations uh, what are people okay with what kind of value are people deriving out of that i think uh, yeah i mean it's it's just an exercise you have to do yeah and i don't think there's a single uh, way that works for all the companies out there 
at the core of it, I think value-based pricing and actually spending a good amount of time figuring out the pricing is something you should be doing. Yeah. And I have to just kind of under, underline that point of like spending the time to figure out pricing. It's not just, Hey, like you said, we're not just going to choose it based on competitors and stick with that forever. I think you're leaving a lot of money on the table for your business. If that's what you're doing, uh, overlooking pricing, because it's such a, uh, interesting, like kind of a lever you can pull for your business and also changes everything you do on the back end and how everything goes in terms of acquiring customers and the retention, everything with it. And it's so important. And one thing you had mentioned as you kind of, a, you've changed pricing and gone to this point you're at now, I'm curious as to what, what's kind of your, your customer acquisition strategy today? Like how are you acquiring customers like nowadays? Right. So for the initial six months, just like I mentioned earlier, we were doing outbound approach, you know, doing, approaching the people whom we really wanted and all of that. But in the last three, four years, I think, um, so I've been, a, I've been a marketer myself and I think a lot of what happens in the company comes from a founder's DNA. Yeah. So we have been very bullish on content, content marketing. And I think even at this point of time, I would say 90% to a 95% of our business, of our customers come through inbound funnel, right? So wow. basically how the, how, the, how the model works is people come on a website they sign up or they schedule a demo and that's how we how we get these leads and yeah most of the business is totally inbound happens through uh content marketing efforts it might be um you know creating chatbot templates doing webinars doing podcasts uh, writing ebooks like we do all <laughs> sorts of content right because if you if you do content you just go all in in it and just create whatever you can, right? Like you do yeah. anything and everything into it. So I think, yeah, I mean, we, we do all forms of content. We do a, quite a bit of it uh, in the SaaS space, I guess. So yeah, that's that's been our core. Yeah, yeah. And with, and with that, with the content side, which uh, which can be so great in terms of getting inbound, especially as you do really targeted, how are you prioritizing which pieces of content? Because there's so many different things you could be doing uh, with content. I'm curious on how you prioritize. Sure. So I think I would break it down by user journey. Um, basically, the same old funnel of first is that awareness module where how would you let the, the world know that you exist, right? Um, yep. Second is if they've come on the website, how do you feel credible enough? And so basically, yeah, I mean, let me take a step back, right? How does the software buying happen right now? If you're looking for a chatbot platform, you would say best chatbot platform on Google, you would come across a listicle. There'll be five or ten different uh, platforms in there. You would <laughs> click. You would click on command and then press tuck 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 tuck, and then you would open ten tabs, and then you would right. sign up on each platform, and then you'll be like, okay, what should I do? Uh, which one should I close? <laughs> right. So I think uh, <laughs> once someone lands on your website, how do you how do you create that initial impression? How do you create that credibility in the first few minutes that the person sticks with your website right it sticks with your product so uh and then the last piece is how do you enable your sales team how do you enable your customer to take that final buying decision right so and that's how i would break down my content as well so for instance to acquire the customers or to acquire the new leads i know there's a one like one or two specific kinds of content that work for us for instance um chatbot templates as a as a piece of content is something that works for us so if you search for real estate chatbot template or if you search for 
doctor appointment chatbot right if you search on google we would be coming in at least one of the first five results right for keywords like those and we figured that our customers are searching for those keywords and we created that sort of content and doubled down on that now once a customer has come on the website how do i educate my customers so that they stick with us and they feel that we are sort of an authority in the space so you would do all of these webinars you would do a good amount of blog posts you would write best practices right so create all of that content and now once they've signed up and they've started trying on the product uh, and they possibly say schedule a demo with your sales team how do how does the sales team convince this customer to eventually buy so you should have your case studies you should have good sales collaterals you should have if you're selling to the enterprise you should have security related documentation so all of that right so i i, I think it's it's not this or that i think from a, from a content team perspective you would create content across different uh stages of the user journey um yep and and that i think that's how we we break all all of this content yeah and it depends and depends right so if if your funnel is basically you're getting a lot of uh, marketing qualified leads you're getting a lot of mqls but that mql to sql number is very small this like mql to an a sales qualified lead is a is a small ratio yeah. and that number is, doesn't look good that means that something is wrong in in that stage right so maybe your email sequences that you're sending to the people who are signing up are not good uh you don't have enough content or you don't you're not educating your customer but if your sql to a conversion number is low that means you don't have you don't have enough case studies for instance right which is why people are not taking a call or maybe you don't have comparison pages on your website or could be so i think yeah yeah i mean it's so it's so important and there's so many things you can create with that but thinking of getting kind of that customer journey like you mentioned i think is is really smart and 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 you mentioned before you had started with those kind of first few customers, and that was a, a number of years ago now already. Take me through like the traction you're, you've achieved today with with Tars. Sure. So I think uh, a couple of things that matter to us. Um, so we focus on uh, revenue or recurring revenue as the single uh, leading metric that we track. So we're doing about a million dollars in ARR, which is the annual recurring revenue at this point of time. Uh, and the second thing that matters to us, as at least to me as founders, is how good of a team have you have you built, right? So we are about yeah. uh, twenty people in the team, and that's been like. At, at, so I'm. I mean, I don't know what matters to the world, but at least what matters <laughs> to me is, as a founder, yeah. <laughs> is have you been able to build a good product? Do you have yeah. customers who who like your product? Do you want to? work um on this product with these customers and with these team members for a uh, for the next few years and are you growing uh, month on month uh yeah all of these metrics are important to us so i think uh, we grew about uh 3x in terms of revenue last year and wow. uh, uh this year we were aiming almost a 5x and then you you know covid hit <laughs> in, <laughs> in 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 february and march or whatever obviously the like it hits the entire, um, you know, global economy, I would say. So US right. or whatever, whatever it is, it hits everyone, right? So we've definitely seen an impact. So still we are aiming at close to a 2x to 3x this year. But um, yeah, I mean, that that has been the, uh, the trajectory for us. Yeah. And you mentioned the team side of it. How have you gone about building your team since the beginning? Oh, okay. So I think we did a really bad job at building the team initially <laughs> so it was just two of us for the first two years of our journey 
Okay. <laughs> and yep. yeah, just me and my co-founder, we took the company to about $100,000 in ARR when it was just two of us. And we never wanted to basically hire people, build a build a team because we were like, you know, we'll, we'll do it the remote fashion, be be the cool SaaS company with <laughs> <laughs> remote uh, remote people, not hire yeah. very lean team and stuff like that. And I think then then we realized, you know, that it was just getting too much for us and we were not able to do things which we want to do just because you just can't do everything yourself, right? So, yeah. and I think you need, uh, for a SaaS company, you need a threshold amount of people. That's the way I would put it. So there are essentially four teams that usually you would see in any SaaS company, which is marketing, product, sales, and customer success. Uh, and you need at least three to four people in each department, right? So four people approximately. So you definitely need 15 to 20 people um, to run a good SaaS company. That's what I think. Obviously, it varies product to product. So at least for our product, I figured this, this you know, uh, something like this would be a good uh, way to look at it. And I think that's how we've been able to... Um, grow the team so i think we did did a really bad job in the first two to three years in terms of getting people in the team or hiring yeah uh, but i think the last 12 months i i think this is this has been one of the uh accomplishments for us like i i feel really good about the fact that we've been able to grow the team um over the last 12 months like most of the team is like uh, most of the team members have come in in the last 12 months <laughs> so very few people who have been here for more than a year i think so yeah very yeah. few people in the team and i think that was one of the good decisions because i you can really see things happening without you being involved like you would see something like i don't even know what what podcast we are releasing at this point of time because it just happens right it becomes a structure yep. it becomes a process and it becomes like a machine that is just running right because you would see webinars happening and you wouldn't even know about those webinars being already planned for the entire quarter right so you can see the results of it once you have a team which is already ramped up and they start doing things and i think yeah yeah oh no yeah i think it's it's important that's why i wanted to talk about the team side of things and one, one thing with that as well you mentioned it was you and your co-founder the first two years how did you decide what that relationship is going to be in terms of roles and responsibilities between the two of you I think it was very straightforward. Uh, he knows how to code. I don't know how to code. So it was very easy <laughs> to decide that he's going to focus um, on the product and the technology. And I'm going to be the one focusing on getting business and retaining business. So get new customers, sell to them and retain them. Basically, the so I was, I was taking care of the marketing, sales and customer success and um, Vineet, my co-founder, he was taking care of the product and technology and obviously customer success as well, because if you are building a product and you're not connected to your customers, uh, it, it just doesn't work out. Right. So I think yeah. that's how we would split it. Yeah. And knowing that though, then on the decisions on like product, was it just, did he get like, how much of that was feedback for you on that or input back and forth between the two on the product and the sales and marketing, or you're just completely separate on that, I'm curious as to like how that kind of evolved. I think uh, uh, when you're small, there's a lot of communication happening within the team. And even if you're two people, that's a team basically, right? So yeah. there was a lot of communication. So if I am having any demo with a prospective customer, I would actually communicate all of it because 
I mean, if you're small, you wouldn't have a lot of demos. You wouldn't have a lot of customer conversations as well, <laughs> right? So you would literally just go to your co-founder and tell him the entire thing. So because you have literally nothing else to talk about. So you would just talk about any customer conversation. And I think most of what or how the, pro- like we were really slow, I would say, in terms of building the product. Like it literally took us, uh, so basically there's a front-end chatbot product and then there's the back-end platform where you actually create um, these chatbot workflows and stuff like that, right? So I think we we released the backend almost 15 months after we launched, right? So it took us a good amount of time. And, yeah. But because we were literally doing everything hard-coded, like if we would, I would onboard a customer, we would literally hard-code the entire chatbot <laughs> for them, right? And yeah. my co-founder used to do that. So obviously he was in touch with the customer because customers used to be after him, right? Like, this is what we want. This is what we don't want. But I think those conversations actually led to us building a product that a lot of customers now are able to just use it in a totally self-serve manner, right? So I think these this uh, communication from the marketing conversations or um, sales conversations or the customer success, I think a lot of it, uh, most of it was going back to the um, to the product side, right? So, and those translated into what we see in the product at this point of time. Yeah. Yeah. And, and looking back to your journey so far, you know, going from that starting point with the two of you to, to now with, you know, a million dollars ARR, like what has been like the biggest challenge or the biggest challenges of, of growing this business so far ish? So I think one of the biggest challenges for me personally has been building the team and actually communicating all of it to them. Right. So, because I, I feel we humans are, or we, peop, we as people are pretty complex, right? Like every person is different from the other and our expectations, the way we work, everything is very, very different. So I think I'm just talking about challenges in the last 12 months and a, a lot of it has been just about getting people in the team and then actually making them successful, like which is, which is one of my um, core challenges even at this point of time, which is how do you get people and how do you make them successful over the next couple of months, right? So that they actually start uh, doing great stuff eventually. I think that has been uh, one of the core, I mean, you would obviously, when you're running any business, you would have the uh, core challenges of finding the right market, uh, building the right product. Like those are challenges very, um, like everyone would face that, right? It's, It's not something totally new, but as founders, we had never hired people. We had never built teams. And that was a totally new experience. Like I had run, uh, I had run a business before, but not like I had never hired team members, like built a good team and stuff like that before. I had definitely built a product before this as well, right? So that was that was yeah. okay. But then <laughs> building that right team, I think, was one of the biggest challenges. Even like <laughs> even if you ask my co-founder, I think he would say the same thing that building a product is like under your control. Like you can build whatever you want to. Right. Uh, yeah. But getting people and communicating that all of that to your uh, team members is definitely a big challenge. And when you see um, it happening, it's just magical. Like when, once you see that your team is able to do stuff which you never even imagined, I think uh, that is totally magical. Like people going out and closing, say, a forty thousand or fifty thousand dollar deal is which maybe you or a hundred thousand deal which you haven't done ever. Your team is able to do that with something that with a process that you made with a product you've built is something totally magical and uh, people being a part of your vision, your journey. Again, (laughs) I feel all of it is um, pretty, uh, you know, it feels pretty good. 
as as founders when you're able to just achieve all of that. So yeah. Ish, what is your vision for the company? You mentioned vision in a second ago. Like, what is your vision for TARS moving forward? Right. So I think um, I would break it down um, by business. Business, like there's a there's a vision from a business perspective, right? Uh, as to how, okay, how how big of a company do you want to build? Because there are these are realistic numbers, right? And the second is what kind of a product vision do you have or what problem do you want to solve, right? So I think from a product standpoint, we know that we're trying to solve the problem of an interface, which is a pretty complex problem to solve, right? So you start with text, but you don't know because the user um, preferences might change a few years down the line and you might be building something totally on voice at one point of time, right? And then it might go to uh, human gestures or it could be something very different, but interface as a problem is a very classic problem uh, which we want to solve, right? So we... I don't think we we want to be um, the best chatbot platform in the world. Uh, like that's not where it ends, right? It it it's basically about solving that same problem, and you can like we can keep building on top of it, right? So what the product you see right now, it might be totally something different eventually, right? But I think from a product standpoint, what we really feel the the so I think there's a mission and a vision part to it. The way I look at it is mission is something which is a bit short term, and the vision is like very very long term right so explaining that vision becomes very abstract very um for people to understand but i think from a mission perspective i think um for us as founders we want to build a really world-class product like i I would say so for instance i really love products like notion for instance right or uh um, you you use that and you're like oh man like i I just love this product right uh so i think that becomes um, a a short-term mission for you that you really want to build a product um and to build and from a from a product perspective you want to build that kind of a product and from a marketing standpoint you want to build that sort of a community you want to build that sort of a brand that people really appreciate because see i mean the the revenue dollars obviously that will be a byproduct of building a very good product but then for instance you just um, you know telling your friend uh, that you know i use this product and i just loved it i mean that is going to be like or you um having a dinner conversation about like i would have a dinner conversation with my friends uh talking about notion like and the founders of notion didn't really expect <laughs> that <laughs> someone <laughs> would talk about product while yeah uh, while you you know having dinner so i think that like so this is something very relatable very realistic because vision becomes i think very abstract and it's very difficult to explain to someone else as well. Like I can talk about, oh, we want to build the best thing out there and stuff like that, but it's not very relatable. I think some something um, very relatable would be something what I just said, right? Yep. And um, on the business side, I think uh, we want to build a capital efficient business. We want to build something which customers love. I don't know how, how big of a business. I, I mean, I feel this as a problem is like really huge. And uh, we're definitely in a category, which I think it, it is sort of becoming a category. It wasn't a category and there are not a lot of big players, but even in there, um, eventually I think there'll be, um, in SaaS, there's never a winner takes all situation, right? Uh, very rarely that happens. So I think they, this this market is like insanely huge. Like, yeah, because what we're talking about is how businesses interact with their and customers that's like a classic problem right like that's a very basic problem for to be solved yeah. and yeah for everyone right and um i think the the tan the total 
addressable market is like huge and there'll be um, a good number of companies that will be able to do really, really well eventually. So if you build a good product and the community and the customers like you, you build a good brand and marketing around it. Um, and obviously, you know, the the revenue dollars would come in. Yep. So I don't know if, if that answers your question, <laughs> but uh, yeah, that's that's how I would. Think oh, I love it. it. I love it. And and one thing I want to know is one of the last questions before we get going here is where do you as an entrepreneur go to kind of learn and grow? So I think, um, uh, so we are a part of an accelerator called Opeka, which is a B2B SaaS focused accelerator. So it's, it's not like, um, you know, so basically they just focus on having B2B SaaS companies and that too, they focus on this concept of value SaaS compared to a vanity SaaS. What that means <laughs> is um, if you're spending a dollar, you, you should make $5 out of it. That's value SaaS for you. But if you're spending $5 to make a dollar in revenue, uh, that's basically vanity SaaS, right? So I think uh, we, at this point of time, have a good community of fellow founders running B2B companies, uh, B2B SaaS companies whom I would reach out to. So I have a fixed set of people, uh, fellow founders that I would reach out to. And then obviously there'll be people who um, run Opeka, uh, the three founders who run Opeka, whom I would reach out to. But I think um, the, the SaaS community in general has, is very helpful. Uh, because I mean, I've spent four. I mean, obviously, the communities otherwise would be helpful as well. But I, I feel the the sort of community that is being built around B two B SaaS is like very strong right now, and everyone is fair, like you know, fairly easily approach approachable. They are ready to help and all of those things. Like even for me, um, I just did a call, like I think a couple of hours back, with um, someone who's who's just out of college. He started a company. He started his product like a like a year back. He's building something on top of Shopify, a Shopify app. Nice. Um, right. And I was just speaking with him and I was like, you know, I, I could just look at him and I was, I was like, you know, don't do this. Just don't <laughs> do this because you would end up <laughs> wasting six months of your life. Yeah. It is, it's a trap. Don't do that. Right. And I think uh, now I have those people I can reach out to and then they'll just say, you know, don't do this and instead do that. But I think uh, this guy has just pinged me last night and today I went to call and I, told something i don't know if he's gonna uh <laughs> listen to me or not but i think uh that sort of community is evolving and and you know uh, more than that um you can literally just uh you know uh listen to so many podcasts so many webinars uh so many youtube videos around um the people you always want to interact with uh but you don't get to so i think just a lot of people are sharing so much content right now, especially over the last four months, you would see so many podcasts, so many webinars happening. I think uh, that's a great opportunity um, for every founder to just learn from people who've done it before or still doing it and sharing their learnings. Yep. So, so yeah. Absolutely. And Ish, where can people go to learn more about your company? So I would say the easiest way is to just go on our website, which is hellotars.com, H E l-l-o-t-a-r-s.com uh, that's like the easiest way because you would find links to our youtube our webinars our podcast everything on the website itself i think that's the easiest way uh, if you want to reach out to me just search for my name on linkedin i don't think there are a lot of people with my name <laughs> similar name on linkedin so you should be easily able to find me yeah awesome ish thank you so much for the time today thank you so much for having me Thank you for listening to this episode of Just Go Grind. I really appreciate you taking the time to listen. 
The Weekly Grind, which is my weekly newsletter, comes out every single Friday. You can find it at justgogrind.com slash newsletter. This is filled with tips, tools, and strategies for growing your business. If you want to know how to launch a business, how to grow it, how to get it off the ground, find employees, all these different things. There's a few tips, tools, and strategies every single week I deliver right to you. Justgogrind.com slash newsletter. Check it out. Thank you so much for listening. Talk to you in the next episode.